Please take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. We will be in verses 11 through 16 for our congregational reading. When you found your place, please stand for the reading of God's Word and remain standing for a time of prayer following. Then I saw heaven opened. And there was a white horse, its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know oftentimes to so many the book of Revelation seems like a scary thing. But Father, it's a book full of hope. And Lord, this morning I'd ask that you would speak through Ben as he brings the message, Lord. Open our hearts to receive the message, Lord. Help us to lay aside every distraction that's eating at us, Lord, uh, and just be completely focused this morning on you. Lord, this morning we certainly don't have a lack of things to pray for. Lord, pray for our brothers and sisters uh, in other countries, Lord, who are facing severe persecution. We lift up those affected by these floods. And Father, I pray for our former pastor, Dennis Thurman, as he's Uh, helping to direct and navigate some of those churches that have experienced some loss. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us this day. Lord, help us to exalt your name to all that we come in contact with. Lord, give us the words to say. Help us to get out of the way. And, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us and soften the hearts to those who would hear the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope you're glad to be in God's house this morning. I just want to say welcome to you. Thank you so much for being at Pole Creek and worshiping with us. I hope that you've been made to feel at home thus far. Uh, Those of you who are watching us on live stream and Facebook Live and also those of you who are in our satellite area, we just want to say thank you so much for being here. So today we're going to continue our study, The Last Days, as we look at God's timeline for the end of time. And I think probably no uh, more than this particular time have we been asked questions of what is going on. We see sin running rampant. We see wickedness growing stronger and stronger. But we understand as Christians that these things must come to pass. That things must get worse before they get better. But you know what? We have hope. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we know that he's got this whole thing under control. That he's got this in his hands Listen, control of this world is not in the White House. Amen? Control of this world is not in the United Nations. Control of this world is not in Moscow, Russia, or Beijing, China. But the control of this world resides on the throne in heaven, and it is our Lord Jesus Christ, our King. So today, as we talk about the Battle of Armageddon, 
we're going to see how the victory is truly the Lord's. And all those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ are going to share in his great victory at the Battle of Armageddon. So the Battle of Armageddon is very simply the end of what we know as the seven-year tribulational period. As we've spoke through these different points of time and these different events that lead us up to the very end of times, we start out by talking about the beginning of sorrows talking about really, in a lot of ways, the time that we're in right now as the church in the dispensation of grace, leading up to that great rapture. All of those who know Christ, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who remain will be caught up together with the Lord in the air. And as the church today, we are waiting on that event. That event will start the seven-year clock known as the tribulational period. And within the seven-year tribulation, God will deal with the nation of Israel. The tribulation is about the judgment of Israel. The church will be taken out of the way at that point. The Holy Spirit who indwells us will be taken out of the way so that then the powers of darkness will begin to rule and reign the earth for seven years. But we know that the Lord Jesus Christ will not let that go on forever. But there is coming the battle known as Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon that will end the seven-year tribulational period and will defeat Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. You may remember a movie called Armageddon. It came out in 1998. It had Bruce Willis in it. Any of you guys remember that movie? Great movie, sci-fi, action thriller. Um, Great movie, certainly. But it uses the word Armageddon, but I want to be clear that that's not Armageddon. Armageddon is not going to be an impending asteroid that's coming in a head-on collision with the earth. Now, there is a comet that will hit the earth during the seven-year tribulational period known as Wormwood, but will not destroy the planet fully. What the battle of Armageddon is, is that it will be a war. It will be a final battle where Jesus Christ himself will defeat the armies of the Antichrist. As we talked about the seven-year tribulation, we spoke of the first three and a half years of that seven years as being relatively peaceful. We see the Antichrist coming on the scene. We said that he is going to be a human being who is fully possessed by Lucifer, by Satan himself. He's essentially a counterfeit Christ. And he will be ruling and he will have all the answers economically. He will bring the world into unity under a new religion known as the Antichrist worship. And what he will be propagating to the world is you worship me and I will fix all your problems. You serve me and I am going to make your life really great. And for the first three and a half years of the seven year tribulation, the world will uh, experience a time of peace. They will experience a time of prosperity. And what it is, is it will be Satan luring the world into his grasp, into his lies, so that he can then pounce and destroy. See, Satan, even from the very beginning of humanity in the Garden of Eden, his number one goal has been to destroy the image of God. Guess who's created in the image of God? We are. That's why he hated Adam and Eve. That's why he wanted Adam and Eve to fall into sin. And even until the very end, he is going to be about destroying the image of God. He hates God. He is a liar. 
He is a rebel. He has rebelled against God from the very beginning. He was an angel created in the presence of the king of glory, and yet he still denied the truth of who God is. He loved himself so much that he wanted to become God, and now his judgment is coming in the battle of Armageddon. Praise God. So it's not the comet that you have to worry about. When you're watching uh, the Discovery Channel or National Geographic and they say, listen, there's a comet that's about 15 years away that could hit the earth and destroy the planet. Don't worry, because that's not Armageddon. Yes, there may be a comet headed for this earth, but the destruction of Satan, destruction of evil will come at the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. So really that movie that I talked about before, there's really only two things in common that it has. Number one is that the name is the same. And number two is that they're both apocalyptic in nature. But the biblical story of the Battle of Armageddon is truth. We understand that the book of Revelation, not Revelations, but it's a singular revelation, is the revelation of Jesus Christ where Jesus Christ visited the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. John was in prison on this prisoner's island in the Isle of Patmos because of his testimony of faith and because of his willingness to preach the gospel. So while John was on this prisoner's island, Jesus was revealing to him the things that we find in the book of Revelation. The Bible says, blessed are those who read this book. Blessed are those who study this book because it's important to know who wins in the end? Because let me tell you this, if you know who wins in the end, then it's going to give you a lot more confidence in the day-to-day. When the world gets depressing, when you keep watching the news cycles of how terrible things are, I want you to remember that since your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, your hope is not in what ABC News tells you your hope is in. Your hope is not in the federal government of the United States. Your hope is not in the stars and stripes of the American flag. Your hope is in the blood-stained banner of of the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone is going to bring us through. He and he alone is the hope that will endure forever. Nations rise and nations fall, but the word of God endures forever. And I'm so thankful for that today. So I want us to see three things about the battle of Armageddon that I think is going to be important for you to know and to remember. Now, because of of time limits, I'm not going to be able to get in great detail about the Battle of Armageddon. You could probably preach three or four sermons just on the Battle of Armageddon. But today, we're going to hit the high spots because I want you to understand and I want you to have a grasp about what it is, about the apocalyptic battle that the Bible says will come at the end of the seven-year tribulation. The first thing, if you're taking notes, and remember, we have those um, sermon notebooks located at our welcome centers. Those are free of charge to you, so grab those anytime. Those are great resources to take notes in. But the first thing we want to know about the Battle of Armageddon is the purpose of Armageddon. What is the purpose? You know, I think as Christians, that needs to be a question that we ask very, very frequently about ourselves, about the human race, about creation, about morality, about good and evil. What is the purpose? You know, as Christians, we have the answer to that question found in Scripture. There's no other faith tradition or religion that better explains why we are here than Christianity. There's no other faith tradition or religion worldwide that better explains the hopelessness that we see in this world. There's no other religion or faith tradition that tells people how they can have 
eternal life. Do you know the Muslims today have no idea if when they die they're going to go to heaven or hell? They can be the most devout Muslim you've ever met. They can pray toward Mecca five times a day. They can participate in Ramadan. They can make a pilgrimage to Mecca. They can do all these great things, but even an honest Muslim will look you in the eye and they'll say, when I die, I don't know if I, for sure if I'm going to heaven. The Hindu will look and they'll say, have I been good enough in this life to be reincarnated and to reach nirvana? They don't know. They can't know. They don't have any idea. But only Christianity is a for sure faith. Only Christianity is a no-so faith. Only Christianity is based not upon our works, but upon the works of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Only Christianity has a no-so faith. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not if you're good enough, not if you're a church member, not if you do the right stuff, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We know that we know. The whole book of 1 John is about how you can know that you know that heaven is your home. Praise God for a God who gives us assurance and peace. The purpose of life is to glorify God. The purpose of Armageddon is also to glorify God. We're going to find in Revelation chapter 14, verse 19, and we're really going to bounce between three different chapters in Revelation. Revelation 14, Revelation 16, and Revelation 19. But in Revelation 14, 19, we're going to see a glimpse of the battle of Armageddon. But before we do that, let's take a moment and step back in time to the Garden of Eden. See, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the first glimpse of the Messiah. We have the first picture of God's plan to redeem his children, to redeem mankind. God's intention was not that man would die in his sin. God's intention was that man, a beautiful creation made in God's own image, would be able to dwell with God unhindered in a beautiful, perfect relationship. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, and as Chase so well said last week, and they ate of the apple and they fell into sin, it messed that up. A big brick wall was created between God and man where God and man could no longer have that freedom of relationship. So in Genesis 3.15, the Bible says this, I will put hostility, God is saying, between you and the woman talking to Satan and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Did you know that that he that will crush the head of Satan is the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus put a pretty heavy dagger in the heart of Satan when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He pretty much clipped Satan's wings that day. But Satan's still got a little bit of power. He's still able to roam and he's still able to torture. And he's going to have an increased amount of power during the great tribulational period. But you know what? God's not finished crushing the head of Satan yet. The battle of Armageddon is going to be another fatal wound to Satan. Where again, Genesis 3.15 is going to continually be fulfilled until the end of time when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire where he will burn and be tortured day and night forever and ever. I promise you, Genesis 3.15 will be fully fulfilled. God will have the final say, and the angel known as Lucifer will burn in a place called the lake of fire forever and ever. His time has not yet come, but it is on its way for sure. 
As Jesus continues to put those daggers into the heart of Satan, we understand that the purpose of Armageddon is to judge the wickedness of the world. As premillennial dispensationalists, we believe that right now God is dealing with the church. That this is the dispensation of grace between Calvary and the rapture. That God is specifically dealing with us as a people. He is saving both Gentiles and Jews in the here and now. The gospel is being preached and people are coming to faith in Christ. But at the rapture, we move into the dispensation of judgment where God then returns his focus onto the nation of Israel. The purpose of Armageddon is to deal specifically with the sins of Israel. If you remember, when Jesus was about to be crucified and Pilate looked at the Jews, he said, why don't you decide between Barabbas and Jesus today? Would you take the convicted murderer and the convicted treasonist and let him be put in prison and let Jesus become free? Or would you want the, the prisoner, the murderer, the evil man to be set free and us punish Jesus? The Jews looked at Pilate and they said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. Jesus' own people rejected him. The Jewish nation said, no, he is not the Messiah, we don't want him. My friends, the judgment of Israel is coming. The sin of the blood on their hands of rejecting the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is the purpose of Armageddon. Armageddon will be a great and awful judgment upon the nation of Israel, those unbelievers. You know, a lot of times when we think about Israel, we think about a nation of Jews who can relate to us. We think, wow, they probably use a lot of the same Bible that we use. They would probably, you know, have great conversations with us about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. No. The majority of Israelites today, Israelis, are atheists. They have rejected the God of the Bible, who is Jesus Christ. And there is a judgment coming upon that nation. But in the midst of that judgment, where God will destroy the unbelieving Jews, he will also destroy the Antichrist and his armies. Jesus will have the final say. Remember, God is holy. And if he ignores sin, he lets sin go, he's no longer holy. Sin has to be judged. And I've always said it like this. If sin takes place anywhere in the created order of God Almighty, he must confront it. He must judge it. And that's what makes Jesus so beautiful for us today. Listen, I am guilty of sin. I am worthy of the judgment and the wrath of God to fall fully and unadulterated on my head. I am worthy of a place called hell, and in fact, I deserve to be there today. But did you know that when Jesus died on the cross for me, he literally stood between me and God? He literally said, God, Father, give me all the wrath that you have for Ben. Pour it on me today fully, and I will take his place today. I will take his judgment. That is the Savior that we serve. The purpose of Armageddon is that righteousness will prevail and wickedness will be judged. The second thing that I want you to see about the battle of Armageddon is where it's going to happen at. Did you know that we know the exact location of where the battle of Armageddon will take place? You could actually get on a plane today and you can fly to Israel and you can go to the very battlefield where this battle will be fought. If you will, turn with me to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16, and we're going to look in verse 16. 
The Bible says this. I'll let y'all turn there just a few more seconds. Revelation 16, verse 16. So here there is a, a, a reference to the demonic spirits that will be running rampant on the earth during the seven-year tribulational period. They will be increasing in intensity until the battle of Armageddon. And here we see that there is going to be a convergence on the nation of Israel. In other words, the Antichrist, who is Satan incarnate, will be leading his vast armies upon the small nation of Israel to this one location to fight the remnant of the Jews. And we're not talking about a believing remnant of Jews. We're talking about a remnant of unbelieving Jews. Here, the Antichrist will converge to destroy Israel. Revelation 16, 16, the Bible says this. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Both the Hebrew and the Greek, when looking at this passage in the original language, points to this being the hill or the city of modern-day Megiddo. There is a city in Israel today known as Megiddo. Uh, Brother Tim, if you don't care, put that picture up for us of the valley of Megiddo so we can see that today. Now, as you look at that beautiful, vast valley, you can see how a great battle could certainly wage in that place. Just a flat, open, vast place. Actually, this is where King Saul was killed. This is also where King Josiah was killed. This is where ancient Israel fought many, many battles here in the valley of Megiddo. And it's quite interesting to think that their final doom, the unbelieving nation of Israel's final doom, will be in the very place that they fought many of their ancient battles. Jesus certainly wins in the end. This is the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. So there's the second part, the second thing that I want you to know about the battle of Armageddon. I wanted you to know the location. So, so far we've seen the purpose, we've seen the location, but this is what I really want to stick with you this morning, the characters of Armageddon. Who's going to be the big players in this battle? Well, thank God that the sufficiency of his word explains exactly who's going to be involved in this great conflict, in this great battle. If you'll look, continue to stay there in Revelation chapter 16. We're going to look in verse 13. Here we have what is known as the unholy trinity. I think it's very important for us as Christians to understand that for every true and perfect thing that God has, Satan has a counterfeit. It's never as good, it's never as beautiful, and it never fulfills what it says it can fulfill. Satan is always putting a little bit of truth in a big old lie, and we, like sheep, are being led to the slaughter every day believing his horrific lies. It's not going to be any different in the seven-year tribulation leading up to the battle of Armageddon. Here he is going to perpetuate himself as God, and he is going to be a part of what is known as an unholy trinity. He is, it's impossible for Satan to become one in three persons. He's not God. But he is going to mimic the, the, the idea of that, the image of that. He's going to mimic it to make people think that he is truly God. Beginning in verse 13 of Revelation 16, the Bible says, Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. Here we understand the dragon is Satan himself. The dragon in Revelation is indeed Satan, the one who was created to be Lucifer, 
the devil, the wicked one, the one that hates God, the one that hates God's image, the one who possessed the serpent in the Garden of Eden and tempted man to sin, this one is the dragon. Then we see the beast. The beast is the one, the man who is possessed and indwelled by the spirit of Satan. He will be the one who rules during the seven-year tribulation. He will be the king, if you will, of the armies that will converge at the valley of Megiddo and attack the unbelieving nation of Israel. We also see the beast mentioned again in Revelation chapter 19. So we have the dragon who is Satan. We have the beast who is the Antichrist. If you will, turn over there to Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to see something else about the beast who is the Antichrist. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 19. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says, Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and against his army, the Antichrist. But then we have a third here who likes to try to mimic the Holy Spirit. He likes to try to be for the Antichrist what the Holy Spirit is for Jesus, yet he can't fully do that. He is the propagator of lies for the Antichrist. He will be a person who is demonically possessed. He will be the mouthpiece for the Antichrist. He is known as the false prophet. You know, even in pre-World War II Germany, as Hitler was rising to power, he understood how important it was to communicate a hatred for Jews. He understood that he had to convince the nation of Germany that the Jews were enemies, that the Jews were the bad guys, that the United States was the bad guys, that Russia was the bad guys. He had to communicate that, and he understood how important it was to speak in an effective way where you could capture the control of the minds of the people Hitler believed in this so much that he created the Ministry of Propaganda and Public Enlightenment, is what he called it. This was the arm of Hitler's disinformation arm that ultimately brainwashed an entire nation. Now, this was a man who was able to do that. Think about what Satan will be able to do. He will be able to brainwash the world. He will be able to take the world who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit living within them, and he will cause them to believe that he is God. The false prophet will be out there preaching, and he'll have, he'll have smooth words, and he'll be a slick talker, and he'll say, the Antichrist, this man, is God. Fall and worship him. The Revelation even says that the Antichrist will be wounded, that he will be fatally wounded, that he will die. And the false prophet will put on a big show for the whole world to see, and he will make it appear as though he raises the Antichrist from the dead. Again, a counterfeit. A counterfeit, a false resurrection, but they will indeed brainwash the entire world. So that's the unholy trinity, the characters of Armageddon, those leading the armies of the Antichrist to battle the unbelieving Jews there at the valley of Megiddo. But then we're also going to see that the Antichrist has many armies. He's going to take over many nations in his seven-year rule and reign. He's going to take over what is known as the Roman Empire Revived. If you look at the statue mentioned in Daniel, you find out that the ten toes of the statue are made out of iron and clay. Well, the legs were also iron and pointed to the reality and the true Roman Empire that we know of and that we see in our history books. But the Antichrist's dominion and empire will be a revival of that old Roman Empire. 
but it will be a little bit different, mired and mixed with other nations. There will also be nations in the Middle East who will gladly jump on board with the Antichrist to destroy Israel. It will be a vast and a powerful army that the Antichrist will lead at the helm. We find these armies in Revelation chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. Revelation 16, verses 14 through 16, the Bible says this. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of the great day of God, the Almighty. Then Jesus says this, Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. You will find standing armies of many nations that will gladly fall behind the Antichrist and converge on the valley of Megiddo in the battle of Armageddon. But you know what? There's a third army here. There's a third army that shows up and they weren't exactly invited. They weren't exactly expected to show up, but here they come. These are the armies of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find in Revelation chapter 14 that his armies aren't just humans but they also consist of mighty and powerful angels. Beginning in Revelation 14, verse 15, the Bible says this, Another angel came out of the temple, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, Use your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the earth is ripe. There's going to be angels in that army of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find even in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 17, another reference to these mighty angels that are going to be fighting in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning in chapter 19, verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, Come and gather together for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of everyone, both free and slave, small and great. There's going to be a lot of death that day in the battle of Armageddon. But you know who else is going to be a part of the army of Jesus Christ? The saints. Guess what? Today, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're a saint of God. You know Jesus, and you're going to be a part of this army. We find that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 14. Here Jesus comes out on a cloud riding a mighty horse. His, his vesture says he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Revelation chapter 19, verse 14 says this. The armies that were in heaven followed him. Who's those armies that were in heaven? It's us. Those who have left in the great rapture will be following our king to the battle of Armageddon as we watch him judge them. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. We will be coming behind him that great day. If you go down to verse 19, Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to wage war against the rider, who is Jesus Christ, on the horse and against his army. That day we will be able to witness the battle of Armageddon. But I hate to tell you that you're not going to have to lift a finger. You're not going to have to swing a sword. You're not going to have to pull a trigger. Jesus is going to do it all. Now, sometimes I scare people because you never know. And I think Chase does this sometimes too. So let's see. No, I'm not going to swallow this. 
But if you think about every hero, every hero has a weapon of choice, right? Spider-Man has got his web. Batman's got all the greatest technology. Superman, he can fly. He's got laser vision. Well, guess who the hero of the Battle of Armageddon is? Jesus. And guess what Jesus' weapon of choice is? The sword. And here's what the Bible says about the sword. If you'll look in verse 15 of Revelation chapter 19. Verse 15 of Revelation 19. Here is Jesus. He's coming. He's coming to the valley of Megiddo to destroy the Antichrist, his armies, and unbelieving Israel. And this is what the Bible says about him. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. We go on down to verse 21. Here again we see this great sword that he wields against the evil. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Did you know that Jesus will not be wielding a sword like this? It's going to be the word out of his mouth. The sword that comes from his mouth. Did you know that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are the very words that created the universe? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God didn't build the heavens and the earth. God didn't design and plan for the buildings of the earth. We know what God did. He spoke them into existence. The most beautiful star constellations you can imagine, our king spoke them into existence. And today, the same power that spoke all things into existence at the Battle of Armageddon will destroy all the evil and wickedness, all the rebellion against righteousness, all of the pedophiles, all of the child molesters, all of the murderers, all of the child sex traffickers, all of the most evil and wicked things you can imagine. That day, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to come forth like a sword and they're going to wipe the earth clean and they're going to destroy all wickedness. Praise God that our king wins in the end. Amen. Hey, guess what? Today... If I were you, I'd make sure that I was on the king's side. I'd make sure that I was riding one of those white horses at the Battle of Armageddon. I'd make sure that I'm not in the Antichrist armies. I'd make sure that I'm not a part of unbelieving Israel because Jesus is coming and Jesus does win. Today, maybe the sword of the Lord Jesus Christ is piercing your heart today. Maybe the word of God is speaking to you and saying, you don't know me. You've never accepted me as your Savior. You know, I'm not going to be so naive as to think that everyone here this morning has trusted in Jesus. But listen, I'm telling you the revelation of Jesus Christ that was made known to the Apostle John. This is a warning for you today. Make sure that you know where you're going to spend eternity. Today, maybe you know Jesus, but you've got some neighbors who if they were to die today, they'd go to hell. You've got some neighbors that if the rapture were to take place and Jesus were to come and get the church, they'd be left behind to fend for themselves under the rule of the Antichrist. 
You might have some best friends at work. You might have some fishing buddies. You might have some folks who you love with all your heart, but you've never took the time to warn them about the coming judgment. You've never took time to share with them that there's a God in heaven who loved them so much that he was not willing to let them die hopelessly, but he sent his son to die for them on the cross. John 3, 16. Why did Jesus come? For God so loved the world. He didn't just so love some people, but he loved the whole world, and he sent Jesus to die for you. So this morning, as we think about the greatness of our king, the warrior who is going to finish the job and finish it right, I want to make sure that you know him, first of all. And secondly, if there's somebody that God has laid on your heart who has never accepted Jesus based upon the sharpness of his word, 1 Corinthians 15, based upon the scriptures, Jesus died and he rose again and he was buried. So we understand that the truth of God's word still can convict lost people. Today, I pray that you will not leave here unless you know for sure. And I pray that God will lay someone on your heart who needs to hear about him. Let's pray. Bow your heads as we pray.